All right, so we are here. We made it through time and space. I find that time zones need to be eradicated in Channel Guk. I don't know if you can make that happen, Dr. Hendricks, but uh, you're the man. If anybody can do it, you can. And I'm putting in a special request for when the day comes. But we finally made it happen. I got somebody who used to be in my time zone, but now is back in America. And we seem to be chasing each other or avoiding each other. Depends on how you look at it. We got Dr. Tyler Hendrick in the house, who has been our resident theologian for years now. And I know Uncle Dave and I, whenever we have theological questions, always email. My first my first person before high noon, back when I was a pastor, was always you. Because you know the word, but you are also a thinker and an engager of the word. So thank you for coming. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's, I, I often, I think I haven't really asked him, but I, I oftentimes will talk to Uncle Dave. He will have just corresponded with you at a similar time that I was, because we're both, we you both have questions and we both find uh, a lot of value in talking to you. So yeah, I wanted to have you on because you know the Bible really well and you know, not to put pressure on you, but I've always gotten a lot out of our discussions about the Bible and about your parents' words. And you also are a thinker about how sexuality ties into all of this, which is why we've we've a lot of times relied on you to help us understand and interpret certain things. So I wanted to start with the Bible. Let's go a chronological order because, mm. you know, that we're in this era when we're trying to figure out what is the relevance of women. This is obviously happening in our movement. And there's a great battle of like, you know, what does it look like to have a female Messiah? And how does this, how does this balance out history? But if you look at something like the Bible, which is the story of men typically, and there's women have like their little roles here and there, and they're crucial, but they're usually minor roles. If it were a movie, they're not getting paid <laughs> nearly as much as the main stars. But you have these main characters, you know, you have these Noahs, these great men who are known for doing these great things that shape the course of history and Abraham, Moses. And you don't hear really any details about sexuality. You know, there's, there's nothing, there's no, but they obviously had kids and it was obviously important. But even yeah. throughout the Old Testament, it's largely, you have to, anytime people are like, oh, God loves sex, just look at the Song of Songs. And that's their only reference, <laughs> right? That's like a lot that you have to, a lot of weight that you have to put on a very short part. But I, I'd love to know, like, why didn't sexuality get discussed more in terms of the lives of these central figures and throughout the kind of Old Testament? Okay, well, first of all, because the, the sex is the original sin. And, and generations and generations of depravity accumulated after the event of the original sin. And so by the time you get to Noah, they had to work through all these layers of depravity and this, and, and so you're just in the, Noah was at the point of just preparing for the providence of restoration. It wasn't even starting it. It was just preparing to start the providence of restoration. So in a way, things were very external, very conditional. Satan had such a, a grasp, you know, a, a tight hold on sex that, you know, God couldn't, couldn't just jump in there. But yeah. But, okay. So... But it's interesting in the, in the story of Noah, the, the downfall of the, of that providence was when Noah was lying naked and, and i.e. you could see his sexual organs, he was naked and unashamed, but his children, his son, Ham, especially where it was ashamed of it. And so, so that tells you that, that sex is still going on there, or I mean, is still an issue. In fact, that was the. Uh, transition that was the test that Ham was supposed to pass to to become the able 
you know, to inherit Abel figure and go forward was had to do with sex, had to do with the fall. So it is there. It's there with Abraham and Sarah. You know, Sarah was actually Abraham's half-sister, and, and maybe that's in the Bible, and, and they're married, married his half-sister. They, they're, they're in Egypt, and, you know, and Abraham knows, oh, the Pharaoh, my, my wife, my sister is so beautiful, I think is, they might want to kill me, and the Pharaoh will take her. And she does that kind of things. You know, that's the tourist thing. Classy guy. So, <laughs> so, so he says, honey, honey, don't tell them that I'm your husband. Just just go and, you know, you know, I mean, hey, Abraham seems like kind of a schmuck there, you know, just, you know, you, you deal with it, honey, you know, just leave me out of this, you know, because they might kill me, you know. You know, so I'm very impressive if you think about it. So there is sex a, a lot, you know, going on there. I want to point to one in Moses, in, in the Mosaic laws, there's lots of sex. I mean, there's, uh, in terms of prohibitions of all kinds of sexual depravity and, and the punishment being either just you, you get killed or you get banished. So, so there's a lot of sexual laws there. Uh, and one Mosaic law that I, I, I've just become aware of relatively recently is so Huge! They're so wonderful that that when a, when a when a man and and you know gets married to his wife, that he should they, he should spend the first year he shouldn't have any special public responsibilities. If there's a war, he doesn't have to go off and fight. He should stay at home and cheer up his wife. <laughs> I mean, that's one translation. I think that's the King James. Cheer up his wife. The others say. A, take care of his wife or, or something like that. But, but it applies that, you know, this woman, look, she's separated from her parents to join him. That's the law. And she's kind of misses her own family. She's got to deal with her mother-in-law. She's, maybe she's getting pregnant. So this guy should be there to cheer her up because she's going through a lot. Mm-hmm. So well, I think if you, if you really penetrate the Bible, you do find you know, of course, Song of Songs is pretty explicit, but you find it. You find Bathsheba, you know, out there on the rooftop, naked and everything. But your point about sort of relegating women to, you know, in, insignificant roles, if you will, is well taken. And I used to think that, well, that's so sexist, you know, and we should just, you know, that was so bad. But I think you know, of course, of course, we're all ignorant, bad people, women too, you know, men and women both. But, but, okay. But I've realized, or I've come to the conclusion that there, there, that men, that Adam, oh boy. Okay. I don't want to get off topic here. I mean, <laughs> well, that men are responsible, that men are responsible from Adam and it goes back to God of a theology of God that I won't get into, but that, that men are responsible to create the environments. Now, this is important, you know, to create the environments in which a true, a true woman can appear. Uh, so the man, in a sense, comes first. And so the whole Old Testament, New Testament too, is it's, uh, we men have not fulfilled our responsibility. That's why it's all about what the men are doing because we didn't finish it. Finally, true father finished it. Even Jesus could not create an environment in which his bride could appear. Too much persecution, you know. So father was the first man to create the environment in which a true woman could appear. Only begotten daughter, you know, the the bride of the Messiah. So so this all accrues to father's great credit and sacrifice and strength that he created even a very minimal environment. I mean, mother says he should have waited till he was 40. He should have kept going as a single man until he was 40. You know, I really made a foundation on the national level, even world level. He really, and then for her to appear, all he had was a very conditional environment and she appeared. Okay. Anyway, so. Well, no, I can't. That like just really practically speaking, that's that's a reality that 
you know, the the violent attacks perpetrated on people are disproportionately men on women or men on men. It's men attacking. So we're in a the dysfunction of both men and women manifests in different ways. And men, it's much more about if they're really dysfunctional on the inside, they destroy the world on the outside very kind of immediately and visibly, whereas women, their dysfunction looks different, right? Um, That's right. That's on right. the whole. So in order to actually have a, an environment that's conducive to a woman being healthy, it does need a man to like go out and, and in this dysfunctional world, create that space because it's, it's other men that are going to come and attack those women, right? Like the sexual yeah. predators and all that. It's always dominated by, and this is mm-hmm. kind of like a, an equality conversation that's hard to have because even saying it, it's like, you can tell how sensitive it is. But when you look at statistics like human trafficking, it's always the purchasers on the other end of the transaction are always men, right? And sometimes it's boys or girls being trafficked, but it's the men buying them and manipulating them. And this whole system of you know, gangs and, and cartels, they're all men. So this is like how evil manifests. So it needs to be fixed by evil with a bit of a, I, so I get that as, as all I'm saying, I, I just wanted to kind of paint that picture. I get that environmentally, it does need kind of mono a mono energy, <laughs> true mono, a broken Satan and mono, something like that. Sorry, you were about to go off somewhere else too and talk about something. No, no, that's a, that's enough. I mean, I'm sure we'll follow <laughs> sure, the thread, sure. but what's your, you had another, you had another question, but what's your next question? Well, it was about Jesus. Up? Yeah. So, Jesus. because that's the Old Testament and it, it is true that a lot of, in the Old Testament, a lot of times when the women do pop up, it's in some weird sexual, almost like mm-hmm. sitcom situation where it's like, oh, I'm married to my sister, you know, kind of mm-hmm. this weird, because they're fixing <laughs> something clearly. Right? But then you get all of this adds up to Jesus and you get this bachelor and Christianity is hanging on every single word. And for 2000 years has been inspecting every single word that they can find that Jesus said this. And like, that is, that is the basis of millions and millions of people's like every breath. And yet there's so little to be said about sex by Jesus. And I just Mm. wanted to know, like, why wasn't sex more of a pressing issue, even as a bachelor to other bachelors, because that would be very helpful in terms of creating this environment. Why do you think that happened that, you know, you just never, or there's no recording of this stuff? Okay. He made Jesus in the Sermon on the Mountain made one extremely strong statement pertaining to this. And that is, you, you know, you've been told that you should not commit adultery, but even if you look at a woman with an adulterous heart, you've already committed adultery. He was really strict and, and you should carve out your eyes. It's better to pull out your eyes than to do that. I mean, that is pretty strict. I think Jesus was setting a condition of, of you know, in, in the Old Testament, there's Joseph. There's a story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And she's, you know, he's a high, high leader in Egypt. And he's out and Joseph is a servant. And, and Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. And Joseph runs away from her. You know, all like incessantly it gives him impression. And then finally, she even tears off his robe and he's, as he's running away. And then she accuses him when her husband comes home. Oh, he was trying to rape me. And Joseph doesn't say a word. You know, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, no, no, she was trying. Like that, he goes to prison. So this is an incredible story. And this is a son of Jacob. And we know the parallel is Judah, the other son of Jacob, who, who with Tamar. Okay, so I think Jesus is that Joseph kind of figure and true father too. He resisted, 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 resisted. And, and only a man who is doing that could say, even if you look at a woman like that, that, that sermon on the Mount point. And there's, there's, I think three that I could come to my episodes of Jesus with women. There are the one is the uh, woman at the well 
where she, he says, I'm going to give you living water. You know, she's, he, he says, can you give me water? And, and, and she says, oh, you know, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Yes, like Samaritan, you, Jews don't ask Samaritans like that. You know, I'm, I'm like a lower caste. And he says, you know, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me to give you the living water. And then she says, you know, if, they, if you drink of it, you'll never die, something like that. And then she says, oh, well, please give me this living water, sir. And he says, Jesus, go and get your husband. And, and then she just, and then she confesses, oh, you know, I've had six men and the man I'm living with is not my husband. And Jesus says, I, I knew that already. So he was ready to forgive her, in other words. And then, she, then it goes off into a more spiritual direction. He wanted to bless them. I mean, he, he's telling us that. Okay, that's the first, the woman there. The second is the, the woman caught in adultery, you know, who Jesus forgives. He who is without sin cast a first stone. And all the men throw down their leave. And I think a lot of resentment emerged in all those men against Jesus that was really a contributing factor. And third is the woman who seems to be a sinful woman, aka prostitute, coming in and, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping with her hair. And Jesus said, and the, and the men are judging her, you know, how come, oh, you know, you're hanging out with this woman, you're letting her do that. And Jesus said, you know, if you knew her heart, you know, she's going to go to heaven before you do. So something like this, what she just did is going to be recorded for eternity. So there are these. Oh, and then um, the, the, when he came out of the grave, it was women who saw him first. Yeah. And, and all the gospels agree with that. And then they went to tell their men and the men were like, oh, they're just full of it. You know, what are they doing? But anyway, they, the men finally say, yeah, it's true. So, so when Jesus had this common base, you know, with women, he told Mary Magdalene, don't, don't touch me. You know, she went, oh Lord, you know, don't touch me, you know, like that. Some people read into that, that they had some relationship. There's some indication in Wally Wanbon that there was some relationship there between Jesus and Mary Magdalene, but it's not clear. Another thing, Jesus, <laughs> as your resident theologian, I read a book <laughs> called Was Jesus Married? And it is written by William Phipps. It was published in 1970. And he makes a very, I think, very persuasive argument that Jesus was married. And that based, based well, based on documents and based on the fact that he never got attacked for not being married. And that among, among Jews at that time, if you're not married, by the time you're 20, 21 years old, if you're a man, you're just garbage. You aren't even a Jew, you know, you're just like human, you know, trash, you know? So, but nobody ever, you know, they, they criticized Jesus for being, you know, for everything else, but they never said, you know, that criticized him for that. And yeah. Jesus was a rabbi and this was, you know, he's called rabbi, people respect it. And that especially for rabbis, you could not be a rabbi unless if you were single, that was, so anyway, so the indications are that he was, he was married, but his wife, and so here's a parallel to father's first marriage that, that arranged, I'm sure arranged by his, Jesus marriage was arranged by his parents. That was the way it was done in, in Israel 2000 years ago and in Korea. 50, 60, 70 years ago. Um, and, and so the, the criticism of Mary was not, you know, or you didn't find me a bride. It was that you did not raise up my bride to, to fulfill her responsibility as to believe in me, you know, to, to build, fulfill her responsibility with me as a Messiah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the way I look at it. So there's, that's a, just an interesting point, I think, an important yeah. point that, okay. Also, Jesus saying that Matthew 19, when the, the, the Pharisees said, you know, well, Jesus, well, Moses approved divorce. So what do you say? And, and Jesus said, well, that was because of your, the hardness of your hearts that Moses had to sort of 
make a concession there. But in the beginning, it was not so. And then Jesus weaves together Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, it says God made them male and female. Genesis 2, it says the man shall become one flesh with his wife. And, and Jesus says it's because God made them male and female that the man shall become one flesh. And this is important. This goes back to the centrality of the woman. The man will leave his father and mother and become one flesh with his wife. So in the, the, the fall story, you know, the, it says, you know, well, the fruit is Eve's love. And so Adam is eating the fruit, which means he's putting the fruit inside him. But actually, he's, she's eating him. He's going inside her, not the other way. <laughs> so now... Let's see, see, I think more people would read the Bible if they just wrote it, like, to be honest. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's why we need <laughs> principles. So, yeah, that's so, it's so brilliant. It, from Genesis, you know, that Moses got there, whoever wrote it, had this inspiration that the man, you know, should leave his parents and become one flesh with his wife. I mean, that is, that's about sex. That's about sex. Yeah. In the Bible. I think for for somebody who doesn't have principle, there's very little to do about sex. Or the sex is very random and weird. And I know there's yeah. a lot of people that accuse the Bible of such. But when you put it's kind of like you watch a movie and it's all blurry and weird, and then you put on those 3D glasses and then everything makes sense. When you <laughs> look at the Bible through the lens of principle, actually a lot of that sex yeah. stuff, it just becomes very sensical that even the stuff that's backwards, it's backwards for a reason because you have to fix it in reverse chronological order. Mm -hmm. So yes, in a backwards world, you have going forwards is backwards because everything's backwards. So in order to restore things, it, it doesn't need to make sense at the time or even in hindsight through the wrong perspective. So I would love to talk about moving forward though, because you know, we are, I've for the past maybe eight years been asking this question, which is what is, what does channel Gook look like? You know, who's paving the roads? Just practical questions. Who's picking up the garbage? And people get so flustered because they haven't put in the mental time to, to actually believe that this is happening, that a new world is emerging. We kind of hope it, but it's kind of like we get wrapped up in you know, it's Monday and I got to go to work and all this stuff. So it takes quite a bit of time to honestly envision a world that makes sense. And in the realm of sexuality, I'd love to know how sexuality plays into Chanukuk because obviously it's a component, but the argument that we're faced with a lot as high noon is it's just kind of like this afterthought is like, mm -hmm. okay, once we do this, 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 and this, then we'll get to restoring sex. And in our view, that's that is the core of you know what what makes us human it's the 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 kind of helix crux of the past present future you know it's it's all these things it's how life passes through us so i wanted to know your perspective on that like how central or not is sexuality in terms of building this new world okay well sex is a very private thing yeah and, and i think oh Women are especially sensitive to that just naturally. And so mother doesn't talk about it. She never, she rarely did. But father was much more talking about it after certain conditions were set, which is, which is good, which is good. I think that, well, obviously sex is, yeah, what do you say? Sex is between the husband and the wife and it's a, well, it's a sacrament. So it's good. I think Channel Gok, I've thought a lot about this, and this is not proved. This is on the offering tray. But I think that I respect the Catholic Church very much for the sacramental system. And I think that, and the Orthodox also have a strong sacramental system. And that religions that last thousands of years have, a, have something like that. They don't just ride on great sermons or great music. Uh, that's very transitory. There's something much deeper. And it's the sacraments through which the individual 
in the case of the Catholic Church, the individual communes with God. That's where God enters. I mean, when it works properly, God enters the person's life. And so I've thought a lot about, and I think, yeah, so, and so it's not the priest's sermon, it's the sacrament. And, and the, the sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, the bread and wine, is the condition to receive the Eucharist is that you, I mean, according to the Catholic, I don't know how well they practice, but this, this is the idea that each person makes their confession to the priest. Mm -hmm. And the priest then gives, receives the confession and gives what we call an indemnity condition, a pen, penance. And that's a sacrament. Penance is a sacrament. You connect to God through that confession. It's called the penitential system. So a priest is more of a counselor than a sermon giver. Uh, and I think the community leader, the priest is a parent. You call father, you know, father, father so-and-so, or mother in the case of a nun. So they're a symbolic parent. And parents should play that role. In, in Channel Cook, parents will have that sacramental role for their children. And that have we, and we should have a, sac, a system. We should make that a clear system so everybody understands that and can be raised up in it and trained in it. And there's two, there's seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. And Five of them are just one-time sacraments for birth, confirmation, marriage, or, or ordination. If you become a priest or a nun, you're, you, you have that. And death. <laughs> you, you die one time. You're born one time. So those are all one-time sacraments. Then there's two ongoing sacraments. And one is the, which I just mentioned, the confession to the priest. And what's the other one? Uh, well, that's it. Oh. Okay, there's two, and 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 I won't. I forget what exactly naming them in the Catholic list, but that we translate that. We also have two. We have we have five one time. We have a birth, a birth ceremony. Uh, we have, and I think the Elshim is the confirmation, the Elshim, and and of course the blessing one time, God willing, which is an ordination, because you're or when we get blessed, we are or being ordained as as priest, a high priest. Every man and woman bear the high priest for their family. And grandparents are, are especially in that position. And then, Would it be uh, ordained as tribal messiahs? Is that our ordination? You could call it heavenly tribal messiah. Yeah, you should be. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Um, something like that. Okay. But there's two ongoing sacraments. Okay. One is parent-child, parent-child, okay, parent-child relationship. That's like penance, where the confession and you get some guidance, but it's not always, it's the parent-child communication of parents and children is sacramental every day. I mean, we should communicate with our children and hear that, listen to them compassionately. Myrna LaPray has a lot of good, you know, guidance on this, of course, mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, but God works through that. And that is a sacrament. We should do it okay every morning. We should share about it, however we formulate it. But the, but the community has to really empower, train, coach parents to be, and to, to give that guidance and love to their children and children to respect their parents, that relationship. That's one. But a second, more pertinent to our uh, conversation here is the husband-wife relationship that you get blessed one time but you have uh, your you become one flesh, ongoing, and that's a sacrament. And I hear good things from Crescentia, Tagodi, and Leighton, and I've heard it. They're talk, sharing about how they kind of make lovemaking into a sacrament. You know, I don't know. They pray at the beginning, or they say some something like that. But that is definitely a sacrament. I call it the sacrament of conception because it's always possible that a child will be conceived. When a child is conceived, that's when the man and woman are, are one flesh. And that one flesh becomes, becomes one flesh, becomes a third person, that, that fetus in the womb. And, yeah. God, and that comes from heavenly parent directly, is there, as a new, has created a, a second self of the, the parents become one, and then their second self is there 
baby in the womb. So I, that's a sacrament. And we should, okay, and so the role of the community that gathers, you know, when we gather, I think it should be every eight days on Sheol. So we don't bother other religious traditions that are all seven-day-based. <laughs> and so they can also participate without departing from their tradition, you know, when, until they're really ready. Uh, and that traditional. Anyway, okay. The purpose of the community gathering is to, I believe, coach or, or create an environment in which parents, one time, in one meeting, it'll be alternating. One meeting will be parents talking to children. Let's create the atmosphere, share why we're doing it, what's the purpose, invite God to come, and then let each family give and take among themselves, parents and children, as kind of a training, as kind of a, you know, just a encourage, whatever, for, for what should happen every day or, mm -hmm. you know, in, at home. But you do it together as a community. And then, and then the other week, is husband and wife sharing with each other, honey, which we don't do enough, really artistically. We create an environment where you can really open up to, you know, yeah. your spouse. I think that's such a forward thinking perspective to view sexuality, but also even what you're talking about, communication is a form of intimacy, to yeah. view that as a sacrament, because then it's not because I read a self-help book or because Oprah told me or whatever, right? It's not some like whim. It's not some whimsy. It's not some fleeting passing I should do. It's much more, this is what engrafts our marriage to something beyond itself. Because all cells do that. All forms of life need to do that. And humans are unique in that we don't feel that we need to, even though we are, we're like, oh, I'm an individual. And then like you breathe the same oxygen as everybody else. Well, why don't we go back to that every once in a while, at least and say, Hey, how is our oxygen? So as a marriage too, it's usually this weird nowadays, people are so isolated within their marriage that they're suffocating within their own marriage and to treat it like a sacrament and to connect to the vertical and also the communal. That gives you strength, that gives you wisdom, that gives you perspective that you cannot have isolated from those elements. So I love that because it gives a religious pretense and pretext for talking and communicating as a husband and wife and also for communicating physically through lovemaking because it's all, it's all a sacrament, it's all an offering. And I've yeah. heard like the word sacrament kind of like a broad thesis, but I never heard it put into those terms. And that's actually, I think, quite productive. Because then it's also not, you know, if you cannot make that sacrament, even in, in you know, let's say the Catholic Church, if you, if you are told by your priest to do your Hail Marys and stop and you don't, if you're taking this whole thing seriously, you got to look at yourself at some point and be like, well, why? And same with if your sacrament towards each other is not, fulfilled, you have to look at why in order to progress. I think it's very, very cool. Is what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> and it's a good is, idea. In this this you know, idea, the 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 community leader couple would be a couple would would have be not like trained, but anyway, raised up, nurtured so that they can help couples. You know, that's their main job. Helping couples communicate. Helping parents and children communicate, make good families, make good three-generation families. That's the whole point of the community. And if we can accomplish that effectively, make it work, I think we'll grow. I think there's many, yeah. I love it. Families. I really do love it. It, it, adds, it adds value to the, the stuff that we already have. You know, we already have everything. It's just, how do we use it? And a lot of times we try to use it, let's say church service. We try to use it to become like, like another religion, like Christianity, like whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And it never quite feels right because it's not true to, true to form because we don't have a form yet. But even in terms of something much more personal, like sexuality, again, it's 
very reactive typically and very much, well, I feel like this, you feel like that. And so you just, you have to figure it out based off of feelings and like just stuff that, that changes moment to moment. But within a certain framework, it all makes sense because it's all linked up and it all feeds each other. And that, that to me is the structure of a body, a healthy body. And Christianity is commissioned to be the body of Christ. And I believe we're meant to be God's body, actual mm -hmm. God's body. If, but that's, again, it's very like interpreted and, you know, whatever. But I like, I really like that. And I think High Noon can really help that because mm -hmm. if you look at how we've influenced people, it's more to take leadership first, starting with yourself. And then when people grow the bandwidth, let's say they're swimming, it's like, okay, don't worry about the rest of the world right now. Just try to get on stable ground. Once you're there and you're filled up and you're rested, you we're, what we're seeing is naturally people want to then help other people as well. That's just like, they, they come to us after they feel really much more fulfilled. They then naturally want to say, hey, can I be a facilitator or whatever, help other people. And so your idea of leadership as a couple is predicated on a couple that's taking care of each other and has a bandwidth. And that's kind of where we come in is helping people to ascertain that bandwidth, which is... Again, we're just a part of the system. Like High Noon is just kind of a part of all that stuff, just trying to help make it run. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I have a question about, it's a, it's a lofty question, but again, I feel like you're the man for the job. <laughs> what gets accomplished providentially when, when we restore sex as a human race? what gets changed what gets tweaked because we're really humanity at large and and our movement is like really focused on the the fall the brokenness but if we do all this work and we actually do restore ourselves and somehow that spreads and we all get it right what's what's being restored like what's happening what what gets accomplished oh well i mean you start getting very imaginary here <laughs> i mean i think ours our, i mean we i i think our spiritual senses will open up but that's probably the most important condition or accomplishment or the this you know what we talk about is the spiritual and physical senses both resonating resonating because God will allow that to happen because we'll be responsible. We'll be able, to, we will have subjugated the evil angels, basically. Mm. We've got it, yeah, by, by what you just said, restoring the original ideal of, of sex. Of that, that in accomplishing that, we have subjugated, which means we've, what, what inspired the evil angelic world to surrender to the true Adam, to true Adam and true Eve. Yeah. And, and then heavenly parent and the good angelic world and good ancestors will, can sort of trust us and allow us to open up spiritually without going crazy, you know, <laughs> in a, in a responsible way. So life, so I'm, uh, in one way, life will become much more simple, I think, because mm. you're, you know, like the saying of William Blake or somebody that you look like a flower for a thousand years, you know, and father said yeah. the same thing. You, the home, your home, your marriage, you can look at your wife for a thousand years, you know, <laughs> look mm. at your children for a thousand years. Oh, they're growing fast. Okay. I only had 20 years. But whatever. Yeah. You know, that the home and the, and the village father grew up and this is very, I'm sure all autochthonous cultures, you know, quote unquote, you know, primitive cultures were village, village based. And basically everyone in your village was a relative. Uh, so you're all cousins and second cousins and third cousins, you're all a family. So I, I think that, and, but we're going to go through two or three or four maybe seven 
maybe more generations to of exchange marriage to actually mingle all you know races, if you will, unite the genetic pool or whatever. And I think life will would just be so peaceful that yeah. you can of course you can take trips every now. Okay, then that gets into the other side. Well, I mean anyway, look at point. We'll have just eternal happiness and satisfaction just right there in our village, in our neighborhood. Okay. At the same time, we'll be opened up spiritually and also we'll be having lots of children. Mm -hmm. Where are there? Because healthcare is going to be cheaper. (laughs) We're all going to be very healthy (laughs) and, and we're supposed to, and and we'll have children. And uh, of course we may just think, oh, well, everybody will just have two children and we'll just stay at that. Or, but, uh, but the other scenario is we'll have lots of children and that we will fill up the earth and, and be able and start migrating to other planets. And I've been, hey. been having some conversations with scientific types who are on that cutting edge of, of science, who, you know, who, could, who are starting to feature that this is definitely possible. The colonization, if you will, of other planets throughout yeah. the whole, filling the universe. I'll be on the maybe like 50th voyage, not the first one. Those guys are going to get blown up for sure. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to mention though, like what you're saying is to be stimulated by the the little things, the things that already exist. I heard this scientist the other day talking about how just like the the details of how impressive the, the technology within the human human body is and that we are the greatest technology in the universe. It's not AI or anything like that. Nothing can surpass the technology that exists, the complexity that exists within the human. And yet we need so much stimulation to feel anything these days because we're so numb to the reality and to the beauty of the the small things. And like, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of out, I was out in nature a couple of weeks back and I was really staring at a bee because you know, yeah. bees are getting a lot of press. They're very needed and all this. And so I, I, I but I, I watched it and it mm. was so random, like how it was flying. It had no flight pattern. It was checking out flowers, trying to get its, its pollen, but it was not doing it in a systematic way whatsoever. It was just kind of bumbling around, just trying <laughs> to kind of go willy nilly. And I was like, huh. And I observed that this was true of all the bees. And I was like, you know, just stuff that you don't notice when you're thinking about you know, some negative comment that somebody left you on Facebook or whatever, that we're just like, we're just in such a state of frenzy that we are, cannot hold a breath long enough to observe all of the beauty around us. And I would say that that's our natural state. When you, there are now places that you can go and pay a lot of money to go to these retreats where you go into these chambers and receive no light and no stimulation. And you have to be careful because some people go mad within a couple of days because yeah. you start seeing really intense visions. But like people are paying to be in blackness because they can tell that we're in such a hyper-stimulated state that wow. it's not natural. So for sure, this idea of being stimulated by the beauty of your spouse when you're old and you know, your nineties and you're just looking at each other's wrinkles, but you see that every wrinkle tells a story and every wrinkle wow. is a wrinkle of God and all this stuff is like a state that you cannot possibly reach. If you're always, you know, I, I need a snack, I need a drink, I need this and that. Cause you just like, you're not able to perceive it. You just through your senses, through your physical senses and spiritual experiences are always tied to physical senses. So I, I just think you're that's that's really on the right path. It sounds in a sense ridiculous, but it's only in comparison to a present hyper stimulated state, which is so toxic to our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health. Wow. So yeah. yeah, I like that. Can I just ask though specifically, like what do you think God gains by humanity? getting our act together in terms of sexuality. Wow. Well, God, God's purpose is to incarnate 
is to have an object partner and and the more the merrier uh, <laughs> and that that's where god incarnates that's god's whole original purpose of creation was to create a, an object partner through love and 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 the result is joy and that's what we're talking about yeah. that is god's the fulfillment of the purpose of creation uh, yeah i love it nothing short of that yeah. well honestly I, I feel like you know we get accused at high noon of being really practical because we are because our nose are yeah. I, like we're just really practical people but i can see how sometimes the most practical thing you can do is have very big, robust conversations about really big things because then it helps you formulate a vision and it helps you also understand your place in all of this. But it, it, you know, talking about creating an infrastructure and and how sexuality becomes an, an offering in a very clear kind of part of the succession of life uh, in yeah. accordance to God and community is like, What's more practical than that? Making money? Yeah. yeah. Good luck. You know, like, of course, it's, it's, right. it's how we can tie meaning and value to all things is when the core elements are taken care of and we need structure. So I really love, I love that a lot. You know, this is a very stimulating conversation for me and I think a necessary one for a lot of people to hear. You have something to say. Yeah, I wanted to, you, you triggered lineage, you know, for decades, lineage was kind of, I didn't understand lineage, but I'm coming to understand it now that I'm a grandfather. Um, and it's connected to spiritual world. And we're all going to die and you go to the spirit world. And then we, we have this doctrine of returning resurrection. You come back and you work with somebody and to, to go, you know, to resolve all the issues you had and fulfill your mission. But in the perfect realm, perfect world, there's no need to go back to fulfill an unfulfilled mission. But still, we can come back to our children, to our, and it's going to be toward, toward a sentence. Where do we come back? We come back when they're making love. I, Divine Principle, page 30, talks about when the true, true man, true woman become one, the whole cosmos resonates with that. Yeah. So that means your ancestors are resonating, the angels are resonating with it. And, and, and we talk about sometimes father was talk about very mysterious marriage of angels, right? Ma angels marry centered on true Adam and Eve being married. Then they can marry. There are male and female angels. The, I, I believe because God created everything in his own image, male and female. So there's male and female angels. Then the female angels all got just totally demolished by what Eve did. And I think they, and some of them, the good ones just couldn't handle it. The bad ones aligned with Lucifer and they became the temptresses, you know, the, the people who use, tell women to do bad things. Are they called succubuses, something like that. Okay. And at the end of Revelation, there's this whore of Babylon that appears. Yeah. And all, it says all the kings worship her. And all the merchants get rich by selling things. This is the like an evil angel, arch, female archangel, compliment of Lucifer, I think. And it says she's really the one who's running everything. This evil Crazy. angel. And, and doesn't appear to the very end of the Bible. John sees it. And this is the, see, he, the, the Lamb of God, you know, overcomes this evil. This, the horror of Babylon. And good yeah. God, you're whipping that out at the very last second there. That's, that's a lot to chew on. I think that is yeah. really intense because I mean, honestly, if you look at people often make this comparison of modern day culture and, and, you know, Sodom and, Sodom and Gomorrah or yeah, that yeah. kind of that, the horse of Babylon, that whole thing is like, Look at OnlyFans. I, I don't know if you're aware of that, but it's it's this trending website where women now go to sell themselves for 
you know, for subscriptions, wow. taking pictures of themselves, videos, whatever. And it's becoming so mainstream that you can see on YouTube and all sorts of places, the, the OnlyFans makers, creators are now being legitimized as just content creators, just like an influencer, just like Instagram, whatever it is. But I just so happen to also, you know, be showing myself naked and doing certain things at people's requests. So it's coming through that kind of spirit of like, you know, selling, selling ourselves and legitimizing this kind of my sex is for sale. And again, not say that women are to blame whatsoever, because again, the vast majority of porn consumption, men. Yeah. So we're all in this mess, obviously, but that's again, very insightful. And to know that, because honestly, angels, whenever we, I get talking about angels, I can kind of relate from a distance, but whenever I get too close to that stuff, it just gets really weird and and I don't understand it. And I'm okay with that just because I've experienced stuff that is like better left, you know, for somebody said, just eat a lot of red meat, come to Mongolia. There's, you eat meat. Five times a day keeps you very, (laughs) (laughs) but it's good to know that obviously there are these influences and they don't match our biology, you know, like to have this deep insatiable urge to watch porn and watch other people have sex on a screen. There's nothing biological resident, like there's nothing logical in that biology. Yeah. It's just bananas. So there's obviously influences pushing us. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to get kicked out of my office right now. Um, oh, I see. I so see. I got to go. But whenever we have a conversation like this, I just conclude that there needs to be a part two because I think there's a lot more to unpack because you just whipped out female angels at the end of the Bible. And <laughs> now I have a lot more questions. So if you don't well, mind I'd to have you back. Yeah. Sure. Sure. My pleasure. Okay. Yeah, thank I don't you. Want to get you in trouble with your yeah, no followers. Problem. Or your your whatever you're renting from, <laughs> your landlords. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Andrew. And then high noon is so good, and just keep doing it. I miss you guys. I mean, we had a good thing. I mean, you you have a good thing going, and I was part of it until you know, yeah. Until you bolted and left Korea. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm with you in heart. Thank you. Thank you. Can people reach out to you? By the way, is it cool if people have questions and they reach out to you or? Do you not have time for that these yeah, days? Well, yeah. I don't want to. Now that you ask that, I mean, usually I'm a person who says, yeah, sure, send me your questions. Yeah, I'll okay. filter the questions. You send me questions if you have questions yeah. for Dr. Hendricks. Yeah, and I'll send them the good ones and I'll make okay. up the answers for the bad ones. <laughs> I'll ask ChatGPT for the answers for them. <laughs> cool. Good, good. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, man. It's always great to Thank see you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, David and Wolfenbergers, everybody. Benji, Sammy. Yep. God Bye. bless. Bye-bye. Bye.